and down, concluded with a plea, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Six weeks later, and six days after the war's end, Lincoln was assassinated. Eventually, Lee's surrender produced a kind of national reunification, Ayers said, which, considering that nearly a million people had died, was not assured. But what was missing, he said, was any sort of truth and reconciliation effort through which the nation could come to terms with a 250-year legacy of slavery. You could argue that that is the unhealed wound from all of this, Ayers said. We bought national reconciliation at the expense of really treating that wound of slavery, and that we're still living with the consequences of that today. In 1877, President Rutherford B. Hayes, a one-time Union soldier who had been wounded in action, toured the South in a peacemaking tour. He also ordered the final federal troops removed from the South in a kind of ceremonial end of Reconstruction. The fact that we don't remember that suggests that it only went so far, Ayers said. One group sought and achieved a kind of healing, if only among themselves, soldiers. At the level of veterans, there was a lot of reconciliation, he said. In the years after the war, partisans on both sides of the conflict quietly agreed on a kind of implicit narrative. Both sides fought valiantly, no matter what they had defended. The deal there was, look, we both sacrificed for what we believe in, and we can reconcile, Ayers said. In one poignant moment in 1938, during the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, a handful of surviving Civil War veterans, dressed in suits and fedoras, reached across a rock wall to shake hands for newsreel cameras. That was seen as the great reconciliation of North and South, Ayers said. Nonetheless, a look at voting patterns after the Civil War showed that Southerners voted for Democrats and against the North for more than a century. As the saying went, people voted as they had shot. Then, a century later, came the Civil Rights Era. 2. The Assassination of the Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr., April 1968 in the mid-1960s, a decade of expanding rights for African Americans culminated in the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The measures, shepherded by President Lyndon B. Johnson, were approved just months after the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy, who had pushed for expanded civil rights. They effectively began the transformation of a century-long voting pattern in the South, turning whites against the Democratic Party, and in the 1960s, stirring intense passions against African-American civil rights leaders. King, an Atlanta preacher who rose to prominence in the late 1950s and who delivered the I Have a Dream speech during the March on Washington, D.C. in 1963, was one of the key leaders of the movement, spearheading efforts for desegregation, voting rights, and unionization. On April 4, 1968, visiting Memphis to support striking sanitation workers, he was shot and killed at a local motel. The assassination sparked riots in cities nationwide, and many Americans of both races looked to Senator Robert F. Kennedy, JFK's younger brother, for leadership and a measure of solace. While JFK was remembered far more fondly in death than he was in life, said Yohuru Williams, a professor of history at Fairfield University, 
there was still this idea that with Bobby Kennedy, you had somebody who would continue that legacy. The younger Kennedy, then a senator from New York and an insurgent candidate for the Democratic nomination in the 1968 presidential election, had worked on anti-poverty programs in both urban and rural America. He would have been a stabilizing influence, Williams said. In a lot of ways, it was Bobby Kennedy who represented the hopes for a reconciliation of some substance. Then, exactly nine weeks after King's death, Kennedy was killed in the kitchen of a Los Angeles hotel ballroom. He'd been campaigning in California. Moments before his death, Kennedy had addressed supporters after winning the state's Democratic primary. Stunned Democrats, facing the prospect of running against Republican Richard M. Nixon, who'd narrowly lost to JFK just eight years earlier, failed to coalesce around their establishment candidate, Vice President Hubert Humphrey. That summer in Chicago, the televised spectacle of a chaotic convention in which protesters...